Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news and politics. Yeah. yeah. We were we... going to do about Scotland Island this week, but then the locals happened, so let's talk about the locals. Really. Yeah. Let's talk about um, before we go back into the Celtic nations. Yeah, there's a lot to read on, you know, the 800 year history of two countries, so. Well. <laughs> It's that really, was also a thing. The thing with Ireland is it's really simple. See, for over a hundred years, the Irish state has undermined the British <laughs> government and has just ruined it. Um, everything has gone wrong for Britain for the last hundred years solely through the work of mischievous leprechauns um, that just doing it for no reason. There's no reason that the Irish have a problem with the British government. There's no reason. Like the the Irish War of Independence and then becoming an independent country, that was they, they were just being brats. I just love the way this was. This was on Peston, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. Pe- Robert Peston who actually said it when he was talking to Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah, because he wanted to be, he wanted to seem cool in front of the imperialist. <laughs> just like, how dare you make us be obsessed with you, <laughs> with your political settlements? It's fucking disgusting. The um, but yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, got a lot of views on. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're going to do a quick uh, rundown of the local elections, where Corbynism is now, and yeah, where the Tories are. Most importantly, the best Labour supporter just recently won my third favourite wrestling tournament. <laughs> <laughs> this would be Zack Sabre Jr. winning Super Strong Style? Yep. Nice. Very impressed with that. Yeah. I'm very pleased with him. So yeah, it's that's his the year. main news, and that's all we're going to talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can understand our desire for being a UK politics polica- podcast to not talk about UK politics as much oh. as possible because I definitely feel like when we plan out like arcs, yeah, um, we definitely try and do it with the idea that we're not going to have to talk about yeah about like it's like uh, like contemporary politics at all. Yeah. Well, you watched Ma this week, didn't you? you, you like, I got the oh, messages like, I'm going to watch. Hell. I'm going to watch Ma. I'm so, going to sacrifice my mind for the pod. I thought, and I then would, you lasted like ten minutes. I thought I would do that in the new year. That like you, you watch a lot of kind of politics TV, and you can put listen to it you can put life. words and positions to faces, mm-hmm. and more importantly for the Labour right to accents. Mm-hmm. And I thought I should get in on this. I should, you know, bite the bullet, watch Question Time, even though it fucking shortens my life. Mm. I'll watch Question Time, Sunday Politics, Ma, all that kind of stuff. I started with Ma, and um, after turned it off after they had a, um, a looking at the headlines, the Sunday headlines segment, that was Kay Burley, um, oh. Amanda Platell, oh. who I didn't realise was Australian, which was mm. kind of the point of my experiment, you know, mm. and um, Aisha Herzarika who uh, was an Owen Smith voter for Labour. Um, but she was listed as a comedian. Hmm. She was a former Labour advisor, yeah. but she was listed as a comedian. Okay. Um, and just like the backslapping and the... Well, I understand, Kay, that you've uh, broadcasted live more than any other female journalist. And it's like, can we like get on with it? I think maybe... Have I misjudged Mar? Is it like the Mar show? Is it like more an entertainment... They're all just hack back slapping programs. They're terrible. They're terrible things. You shouldn't have watched it. You knew you should. Oh yeah, have no, it. I knew. Yeah, like, definitely. You started losing your hair when you started doing an A level in politics. Yeah, that was the start of it. So why would you ever? I didn't start losing my hair when I was in in school. I started losing my hair about ten years ago. We know when I was made unemployed four <laughs> times in a row and uh, had landlords chasing me for rent and you know. Yeah. Was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to blame the A level in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, so so you watch that stuff like a, a rube. You yeah. got suckered in and you're like, oh, they're going to get, I'm going to experience that why sweet, put it sweet on, discourse. Why put it on Sunday morning? It's well, not relaxing enough for, for it to be proper Sunday morning telly. No. And it's not like informative enough to be a politics show. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. It's, oh, I just, it's I don't so complacent and lazy to just put it on there. The only one that I sometimes watch, but then I only last like the a big short question. One. Yeah, is that one <laughs> really? I, because I really like it when because it's the it's the religious one, isn't it? There's mm. like a religious element to it. So there you and it it'll always be the worst because you'll have a like you'll have a sociologist or a scientist talking about a subject, and then you'll have a bishop. Or they're never really bishop. It'll just be some angry Christian say something, and every so often you'll get like the leader of the druids on there in a robe. <laughs> just say like, well, no, I just do anything. You know, he wanted to turn up in like normal, like street clothes, <laughs> and they said, no, I'm afraid you have to wear the. Uh, Otherwise, you don't look druid enough. <laughs> yeah, you have to carry a crooked staff and be draped in ivy. <laughs> and well, he's backstage and going, and he it's comes. Warm this time of year. Yeah, and he's going backstage and you know looking at the Catholic and going, he's not got a mitre on. <laughs> Where's his purple? Gaffer taping a mitre onto a Catholic. <laughs> yeah, so the local election was. Mixed. Yeah. My my consulting with my consulting the divine worked. I think oh, it, was, it was pretty it accurate. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to carry on with that. Mm-hmm. Um. For next time, I need to predict something. Yep. Um. But yeah. So it wasn't as good. The thing. A lot of the problems. It wasn't as good as they'd hoped for. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. No, not at all. And I've been going back and forth with Holly about it. And she was like, it was like, it was over overestimating themselves and they should have managed their expectations. There's a lot of enthusiasm things, behind well, Corbyn. Things, and well, how else are you going to get someone to give up every weekend hmm. to go knocking on doors for no money um, other than to say, this we're going to do brilliantly. Yeah. Um, sure. and well, I mean, also, and you don't start only, something without thinking exactly. that you're going to do, the, you're going to try right, and do it's well. It's the right attitude to have. Yeah. Um, but they, they did really well. Like, I love the way that it's seen as a massive Labour failure that they didn't win Westminster. Yeah. And they increased their um, their vote. They increased oh, yeah, they their, also increased their vote in Wandsworth as well, yeah. which were their two kind of big targets in London. Mm. Um, so they, let's see, the basic rundown, they took Plymouth from the Conservatives. They gained control of Kirklees and Tower Hamlets. In the north, they lost overall control of Nuneaton and Bedworth and Derby and lost some seats in um, Wigan and Sheffield. They gained in, as we said, gained in Wandsworth and Westminster, but they didn't take control of the council. Um, the Conservatives gained control of Basildon and Peterborough, um, and they gained seats in Hillingdon as well. Um, however, they lost control of Trafford, Plymouth, Kingston and Richmond. Uh, Kingston and Richmond, they lost to the uh, Lib Dems. Well, that's the main place that they focus on all the time. Yeah. That's a you know, that goldsmithy area, isn't it? It's like... that's, a, that's a weird one because that's a rich area that's also that's not I wouldn't say it's liberal I wouldn't even say it's progressive mm-hmm. but it is remain yeah and like uh, like identitarianly mm. remain yeah. you know um yeah so generally labor did well in big cities did very well in london um in small towns labor uh, tories did slightly better mm. um in kind of ex ukip uh, voting areas yeah they picked up they picked up like Nearly all the local UKIP votes. Yeah. And UKIP dying was funny. Yeah. Was pretty funny. Was it the, the party leader described the, um, UKIP as like the Black Death? Yep. 
and the, it said like it was going to cause the renaissance. <laughs> well, he said that, he said it's like it's like the Black Death now, but then after everybody's dead, then, which I think is more of a Freudian slip than anything. It's like they're very much like the "there's too many people" party, yeah. aren't they? You know, oh, people who say that talk about overpopulation make me very, mm. very angry and very nervous. Very nervous. Yeah. It's always the same kind of person that says there's too many people as well. And the kind of people that they think there's too many of are never them and their friends. Yeah. Weird that. Yeah. They're not the ones consuming too many resources, despite mm. their two cars. <laughs> despite their two cars and their numerous mobile phones. <laughs> because of all the affairs they're having. <laughs> um, yeah, so voters' minds seem largely unchanged from uh, the election. Mm. The Tories well, and Labour are both on about 40%. The thing is, in generally. general, I thought it was... It's probably a lot better than some people would say, hmm. because... They tried really hard. Well... They did try really hard. I almost didn't vote Labour. On a, on a ground level. Because yeah, I, don't like, I don't like the local Labour Party. Mm. I don't like the, the local council. I don't like what, they, what they're doing. I don't like their plans for Walthamstow. I don't like a lot of that stuff. I like things like we've got our little mini Holland thing, which, you know, good for cycling and generally not having cars near schools, which is yeah. nice. But um, they also want to move a park next to a bus station to cover one of our few green spaces with tower blocks. Yeah, with luxury flats. Yeah. Mm. Um, so if people who... There are people who would happily vote for Labour in the general, but would have real issues with voting for them in the local. And I don't blame them for I that did see all. there was a lot of back and forth on, on Twitter with kind of the the further than Corbyn left. Yeah. Um, and kind of arguing about um, whether whether they should vote Labour and whether other people should vote Labour. Like, I've, I've still, I'm still of the opinion that I can't judge anybody for not voting Labour, especially in locals. Yeah. Because they've been... Like, local councils are the thing that actively work to reduce your living standards mm-hmm. and take away your amenities. So mm-hmm. why would I recommend that you vote for those people? Of mm-hmm. course, you don't know even know who those people are. Mm-hmm. But... It's what local government was designed to do. You you vote in politicians and you get managers and accountants and mm. things like that. And yeah, there are extenuating circumstances, but of like that they're not funded from central government enough. Mm. There's been a gen- like austerity has meant that uh, budgets have been cut mm. for everything. Um, but you can see that the way that they defend their policies is not exactly. They're not exactly like begrudgingly defending it. They're mm. defending it as neoliberals, uh, as you can see with the fucking Claire Cober thing. Yeah, you saw Claire Cober joined fucking uh, housing management company. Yeah, of course she did. Fucking ridiculous. Of course she did. After all of that, like, oh, I've did, I've been sacrificed on the cross of purity politics. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know what neoliberalism means. Anyway, off to join the <laughs> same company that I was in charge of doing business with and regulating. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. yeah um, how people can get annoyed with someone for not wanting to vote for the likes of Claire Cover because she's not unique. No, no. Not by a long shot. Um, and yeah, so I, I didn't blame it. And I, so I think realistically, if there was a general, they would have done a lot better. Yeah. Because... I mean, there's, there's also something to be said for the fact that Labour don't have um, a particular municipal policy level no. policy. Their policy is to get better people in, mm. which is a start. But at the same time, I imagine most of the current Blairites in councils were mm. maybe at some point 
decent radical Labour Party members, if not socialists. Okay. I, I I think there is a, a, a case some. at some point, you know, yeah. and you know, talk about like taking on responsibility and becoming mm. and doing grown up politics or whatever. Yeah, I can imagine it. At some point, you have that has to stop to stop bad outcomes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like outside of London, I mean, London has it is better than most for kind of municipal schemes and like the focus on actually although there might be bad uh, methods but actually providing municipal services and mm. like giving something to local people mm. um, outside you see that the lack of like the kind of collapse of municipal socialism from the 70s is actually the vacuum where UKIP and the conservatives can yeah can come in and, and split the and, and you know start taking those traditional like if you want labour class working labour working class votes yeah yes um, oh, it's just, I could, yeah I can point to one thing that Wolfham Forest Council have done that I like yeah and other than the mini Holland thing everything else has taken money away from me to make my life more complicated having to buy having to buy tickets to for people to park on my road mm. um is really annoying. <laughs> well, it's really annoying because either you have to go down to the office. Yeah. Or I don't even think you can go down to the office anymore. You have to buy them online and you can only buy one book at a time. Mm. So you, you have to... Oh, it's really fiddly. And it's just that kind of thing. It's just like endless fucking paperwork and bullshit just for them to say, oh, well, see, there's a problem with people parking on your road so they don't have to pay to park near the tube station. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it so you have to pay to park on your street <laughs> to deal with that problem. There wasn't an issue with people parking on my road to walk to the tube station. <clears throat> there really wasn't. It's about 15 minutes from the tube station, your house, isn't it? Yeah, but there wasn't an issue around Walthamstow anyway with that happening. Yeah. Because the parking by the tube station wasn't that expensive. Yeah. And it was right by the tube station. <laughs> oh, it's, just, it's like, that's the kind of thing, council's fucking annoying. Yeah, they're the, they're the source of most people's kind of... And my bins. Like you're breaking my bins. <laughs> I hate breaking my bins. I've had like three bins broken in the last year by the council. Well, not by the council though. By, by the, the company, company that they hired to do it for yeah, cheaper. Exactly. That's yeah. a... <laughs> but who who are you blaming there? You're not blaming the local, like the the private company that they took. No, I blame them as well. I've got you. You blame them. I blame you. Blame them. I also blame the people who hired them. Yeah, exactly. All of them. There's enough hate in me to go around. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm voting you. (laughs) I was about to say that was that ends with. (laughs) I've been ignored for too long. The silent majority. The not so silent majority. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of. after the election, there were kind of, like, say, oh, Labour muddled, like, Labour crushed at local elections, which, again, just okay. kind of contributes to the general noise of anti-Labour. Yeah, and if they journalists in the in the mainstream media, it's not. About... It should be expected by this point, yeah. but I don't know that it, it surprises me the like the level of viciousness every time um, there's a new thing. Yeah, um, scumbag hacks who complain about people saying I don't trust the mainstream media. People would trust the mainstream media more if you weren't such flagrant liars. Mm. If you stopped lying so much or making out things... Like, it was making out that it was a massive failure when in, it really wasn't in any way that could you perceive it as a yeah. huge failure. It wasn't as good as it could have been. Mm. But also, realistically, the so the Corbyn 
Labour Party is significantly to the left of Labour Party has been for a very long time, if ever. Yeah. And it almost won Westminster. So mm. there were the usual kind of Labour right suspects. Um, Chuck Ramuna, who the night before started was trying to wreck as well. Yeah. And Jess Phillips tweeted about, oh, I see that like people are trying to dress up a failure as a success. And it's like, it's Should not, know. it's neither. Yeah. It's a, there's so many people on the Labour right who seem to think that they're super popular, but if they ran for an election without wearing that red rosette, they'd be out on their fucking arse. Yeah. Jess Phillips would be. They're, they're party... I bet you there are people in, in Birmingham who have no idea who she is. Oh, yeah. No idea. Yeah. Like, most of the people who vote for her don't know who she is. Yeah. Mm. Um, and there were more in-depth kind of, oh, what does Labour need to do now? Like Paul Mason. Did Paul Mason say we <clears> should um, start bombing... Syria. <laughs> because, well, to be honest, I was iffy about voting Labour in the locals because of the stuff I said. But if Corbyn had said that he was willing to nuke North Korea, boy howdy would I have, would I have run to elect a Blairite to be <laughs> in my local council. <laughs> it's like, well, we kind of negatively associate the Labour Party with, you know, war and militarism of the early 2000s. Let's have some more. Mm. Because, you know, that's not failed every time it's been tried. I'm so tired of old lefties saying, but this one's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay this time, guys. We can like <laughs> this war. Um, he tweeted uh, just after the uh, election results. Hmm. Um, anybody in the cabinet who thinks this is peak Corbynism should be should put that test that to the test by calling a general election. So that's his other thing as well. He desperately wants May to, to win, like call a general election because he's convinced that Corbyn would win, which Probably is would. yeah, kind of what I want. But also there's a kind of desperation of like that's the only avenue that I can see to writing the wrongs. Yeah. yeah, and it's like it's it's not good enough yet. Clearly, well, no, she's not going to call. A, I, I would like a. A general election call um, purely like there are too many people dying now yeah and being deported and all this stuff that it can't carry on like this for much longer it needs to happen soon plus I don't want to have to pay for all those uni fees for my daughter <laughs> Um, he continues, UK dynamic remains about 40% quite happy with xenophobia, racism, austerity and Brexit progressives can win if they make an alliance so yeah He's doing that thing again. With who? The Greens and the Lib Dems. No, fuck the Greens, fuck the Lib Dems, and yes. fuck the SNP. Yes. Fuck all of them. They never talk about forming a progressive alliance with Ply, do they? Because Labour are always fucking undermining them in Wales. Yeah. To be fair, they've also got like two seats. But you know, <laughs> still. Um, the one I was most drawn to was him saying, Labour victory in Plymouth shows what's possible if they play out of their comfort zone, e.g. being pro-defence. Did they do that in Plymouth? Uh, it's a big port town and there is a naval base there, I think. Yeah, but... If they did well in Plymouth yeah. and they haven't been more military, what or were the local councillors saying, like, put me on the council right. and we'll go to war tomorrow? <laughs> a, hmm. um, they've tried it. Yeah. Like, point to me in a local election where Labour haven't gone, like, pro, um, pro-union, pro hmm. for a start, and pro-military where they needed to. Hmm. They already do that. They don't, ta- they don't tack left. Hmm. They don't, they're not somehow... Um, more like metropolitan liberal elite when they go to the shires, hmm. they're fucking less because hmm. they're local candidates, yeah. mostly local bigwigs because that's the way fucking local council works. But um, there's an element as well of like 
now that Corbynism is kind of more secure and is starting to offer more of a, an alternative to kind of Tory austerity and things like that, mm. there's definitely shy Tories who are getting scared. Oh yeah, definitely. And so they're coming out and actually actually voting like as an anti-Corbyn vote rather than necessarily a pro-Tory vote. Yeah, it's James you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he. I mean, liberals did quite well in the in the local elections as well. They they've got. To. They tend to because they've got a good ground game and they're ish. They, they don't have the money to do a ground game. Any like in, they do in on specific on, locations and, small, and specific yeah, day, yeah. Very small places. Yeah, but I mean, also there's a quite a significant, especially in like um, in because like they tend to stereotype northern towns and like. Outside London, hmm. met like areas, town, like Lisa Nandy talked about. Um, oh, we need a renewed focus on towns, and it's like as if there's some like problem with Corbyn not connecting with towns, mm. and her kind like that kind of idea stereotypes all of those towns as like, well, they're all white working class left behind by globalization also, and towns the focus on London. Every town is the same, and they're not yeah. as well, much as like the- even internally. Yeah, yeah. What I was saying about in in sorry in um in terms of like the Lib Dems, mm-hmm. there is in those small towns usually posh areas mm. that can turn out they're not a socialist but they might be like vaguely progressive middle class mm. that can be persuaded to vote liberal yeah um and that has way more of an effect in uh, towns where it's more segmented so like London you get posh areas but they are right next to like poor areas. Mm. Towns don't tend to like. There's a, no, there's a lot of towns that are not segmented like that. So there is properly a rich area and a poor yeah. area. You know. Yeah. It's um. Yeah, I still think so much of the issues of the local is people just can't be asked to vote in locals either because they don't mean anything. I had to persuade my partner to go out. Me too. Like really persuade her. And she's in the fucking Labour Party, boy. <laughs> and she couldn't be asked. Yeah. Um. I mean, the only good thing about kind of the the media coverage around uh, like Corbyn's massive defeat was the Express actually had to just print what he said in Plymouth, mm. which was quite good. He all he talks about is like uh, Plymouth's the low pay, low pay capital of Britain. That's got to change, and a Labour government will offer that change. So they do actually have to put his um, mm. his words in print, which is something mm. around elections because otherwise they you know I mean they're barely a paper anyway. Mm. But at some point they do actually have to report what he's saying. That seems to be the most obvious way of Corbyn kind of doing better next time is mm. actually putting the policies out there, lean on the manifesto and put that out in front of people mm. and not get distracted by trying to triangulate or trying to like, like angle, like trying to sell, trying to sell a culture. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's what Paul Mason's suggesting. He's well, suggesting the there's like it's one of the plus- this unsatisfied culture as opposed to unsatisfied material needs. Yeah. It's, you know? um, the plus side, Corbyn doesn't seem to fall prey to that. No, he is very it's good about that. It's all these weird hands-on who seem to be obsessed, who seem to suddenly be obsessed with only ever winning elections in like uh, any, using any of their tools that, they're, um, mm. that are in their toolbox. Just Paul Mason's toolbox is, you know, full of guns. Well, of course, it's the ironic thing is that the people who are campaign, like the people within the Labour Party that are campaigning more for like... Um, you know, faith, family and flag, that fucking blue Labour thing. The people who are focusing on that, who are saying metropolitan elites are not connected with local, patriotic, white, Mm. implicitly white working class voters, Mm. 
they're the ones who actually are the London metropolitan elites, mm. and they are the ones. That's why their toolbox is mainly advertising, because mm. that's what it is. It's selling a selling a lifestyle, selling a dream, mm. except elector- electorally. Mm. You know, try, yeah. almost trying to convince voters that that's that they're on their side, but in that process, fashioning the kind of right wing nationalist vote that they want. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, oh yeah, I'd never thought about it before. You know. Mm. We are, you know, we should be proud of our armed forces. It's like, who's that fucking appealing to? No, I don't know. Even, even families with soldiers in them. Like, they care about their family member who is a soldier. Mm. Of course they do. But it takes an extra leap to then turn that into a culture of being proud of soldiers and the army generally. Yeah. And that's where they want to insert themselves. They want to insert themselves on like a mass culture level. Yeah. But in doing that, they will invent it and the conservatives will always do better than them. Oh, gotcha. Every time. Because mm. they can just, they don't have any moral, any moral like mm. qualms about going as far to the right mm. as they need to. Mm. You know, they've, there probably are a load of people who looked at the Windrush scandal and thought, yeah, good. You oh, know, yeah. That's, the, that's, the right, that's the right thing to do. That's, I'm glad she's being so strong. But yeah. May is being so strong about it. Yeah, plenty. plenty and you're not going to win them by somehow draping yourself in the Union Jack. You're just no, not. Never. It's dumb. But yeah, it does. I think that speech as well, that low pay thing, mm. pay is not something that councils affect. No. Why is Corbyn making that speech in Plymouth um, when that's not what councils affect and it's not what people are angry at councils about? No. I know we can talk about, you know, councils are useless, council elections don't. Uh, matter mm. but they they do matter to oh, people yeah. in like in in Birmingham they have like housing quotas set and housing is under the well, yeah, rubric of council local okay. transport it things like that so much of your day-to-day life it's it's insane just how much stuff that they mm. can do um but it's like they don't push they didn't push that mm. and yeah it's because they don't have something at the moment yeah well I imagine it's probably really hard because it's hard enough wrangling the PLP to do what you want let alone all these fucking councillors as well I bet you get some proper weirdos on them like and getting them on a unified fucking policy. Yeah. And the Tories. Yeah, they didn't do well. So there doesn't seem to be the, like, with all Chuck Ramuna talking about, like, the inquiry on how momentum has failed to, mm-hmm. like, increase Labour's vote, even though it did increase Labour's vote. Mm-hmm. Um, Tories don't seem to be having that same kind of uh, no introspection, which I think is telling. Having, they must be having it behind closed doors. Um, do you know what Tories are like? They, they, um, they, Put out this notion of being kind of unified, and then they are literally building a guillotine. Yeah. Um, so they they must be. They can't be that. They can't be that arrogant that they don't think that they need to think about something. They. I don't doubt that their, their conclusion is going to be. We should be a bit more racist. I mean, they're presumably calculating how much of the UKIP vote that they can take mm. now that it's pretty much been abandoned. Mm. Um. They're already turning on each other. Did you see Boris Johnson turned on um, Theresa May today about a customs about the customs union. No, um, yeah, okay. uh, he criticised her plans for a customs union, or her policy on the customs union. Which, if he can work out what he is, what it is, <laughs> then maybe I've underestimated him because I've no fucking idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> presumably, they're looking at triang- like trying to bring in as many UKIP voters as possible, mm. but on UKIP, I don't think that it's actually that solid like their vote was never solid I think they did something like a proto Jeremy Corbyn 
um, where they try to get people, like, they try to mobilise generally in a protest vote. Mm. And they also try to get a number of, uh, like, previous non-voters in. Yeah. Which means that as soon as they're gone, mm-hmm. that's going to fall away and it's going to go back to, like, non-voting. Yeah. Um, apparently the UKIP vote in a lot of, kind of, northern areas was kind of split I mean obviously more of it went to yeah. the Conservatives but quite a bit went back to um, went back to Labour UKIP did alright in Derby though mm-hmm. mm. Derby's a weird place though. Derby's a weird place I lived there for a few years mm. uh, well for a few years for about a year <laughs> yes. I should say um, but even that's like stratified that's mm. stratified around um, kind of declining industries and again Labour didn't put out any particular municipal thing it's been a Labour council for fucking ages, yeah. and they um, took on striking teachers yeah. recently, yeah. and so the le- like, what's the fucking difference between having a Labour and Tory council there anyway? Mm. You know, yeah. Well, there were friends of ours who couldn't be asked to go out and vote. Yeah, said so, like which property? I don't want to go out. I don't want to have to put on my clothes to choose between a red property developer and a blue property developer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the Tory, they are just going to come out and be more racist, aren't they? Well, I don't know if they could even do that, like in a more in an open way enough to get more votes. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because they're 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 stuck. Yeah, because they can't do anything. They're they're stuck. So May kind of inherited. She tried to move after Cameron, who tried to bring in kind of well liberal elite voters. um, Tried to marry that with the kind of traditional Tory core of like you know home counties, middle class upper middle class and the city Mm. financiers you know traditional like big business things like that so he was big business friendly but he offered a sop to the kind of more nationalistic small businessman thing in the same way that Thatcher tried to do Mm. Um, he didn't do it at all successfully you know barely won a majority in 2015 Mm. Um, he can't assemble the same kind of electoral coalition that Thatcher did Mm. he can't do it Um, and so, like, l- the traditional Tory base is, like, um, like right-wing workers, mm. like racists, um, petty bourgeois, like shop owners, things like that, people who think they're going to cut their taxes, and, mm. like, City of London. Um, she tries to talk tough on immigration, but now she's kind of hobbled that because she's done the same thing that she's done with Brexit, whereas she's taken a hard-line stance, but then had to row it back because of... It contradicts the story that Cameron tried to tell, which was like of a diverse, like yeah. it kind of give you a kind of like diverse soft nationalism that could include everybody. Yeah, you know, their support generally has been kind of focused at kind of retired people, like older segments of the working class. So people maybe who own their own houses mm. um, don't have that much contact with with younger people, and it's kind of. The main problem with it is that it's ignored how the working class is changing. Also, it's a dumb idea because they keep on fucking it up as well. Because they like yeah. did the the care thing with like we're going to yes. take a house. Yeah. There's a new there's a um, national insurance thing that they're talking they were talking about on the radio today mm-hmm. about making old people pay more. Mm. Um, so it's like these are literally your pe- your your only people. Yeah, they seem to be over this weird kind of barrel where they can't fully offer anything to anybody. Mm. Because they have to like balance the books. They're they're trying to serve too many masters and not mm. serving serving any of them. Because mm. I mean, you've got to keep the city of London happy, mm. but Brexit is going to fuck over the city of London. Mm. You've got to keep pensioners happy, but you've got to pay for social care. Mm. You know, there's 
there seems to be no way out for their idea for whatever's left of their ideology. Yeah, it just doesn't work. You know, um, I mean, they're dying off as well, but also appealing to people like they they appeal to people who are concerned about security. Hmm. So they're people with stuff to lose. Hmm. That's the traditional like Marxist yeah. analysis of it. They're they're people with stuff to lose. So they have houses. Hmm. They maybe have a couple of cars. They've got decent like living wage, um, uh, decent like pension. Sorry. Hmm. Um, Stuff like that. But then they're getting hit with social care because they're living longer. Mm. Their kids are getting hit. They're seeing their yeah. kids getting hit. And that that can't not be a thing, the transmission of knowledge up the age range to see how yeah. their kids are doing. For all the you know? like articles and commentators saying things like avocado toast and all that kind of shit, I can't imagine many Tory voters are happy watching their children suffer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know... like. They are bad people. Yeah. But you'd have to be a literal monster to watch your child suffer and think, but no, stop eating all that toast. Bad people love their families as well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing is they're not a motivated base. Um, these aren't the kind of like young people that Corbyn has managed to get out, the kind of precariously employed, um, we really don't have a lot to lose kind of people. They're concerned about security. She's not only... She's not, she, she, she needs them kind of pacified because they turn out to vote hmm. but at the same time they're not going to go out and canvass they're not going to no. talk to their friends about how they vote well, Tory they can't because of the gout they vote Tory even if they've got like friends like that they're not going to aside from a kind of social obviously like Tories always have slight I mean maybe that's not true in the circle maybe it's just true in the circle maybe I'm just too much of a metropolitan elite <laughs> um, but I don't think I ever hear people talking enthusiastically to each other about voting Tory. Um, and admittedly, living in inner city Birmingham, uh, a, Darb- a poor Derby suburb, <laughs> and a poor Nottingham suburb, and then living in, Wal- in Toot in a Walthamstow, mm. uh, doesn't exactly expose you to many Tory voices. Um, but I can't imagine that it, there's enough enthusiasm or motivation around the Tory vote, the Grey vote, Mm. that's really going to get them enthused and like link up to form an actual project because like the Tories yeah. the Tories need those social segments for their votes yeah. but they also need them for like ideas and to tell them what they need oh they don't need them to they're totally them. when they're cut off like that yeah. they need to feed back into the it's probably why the they keep on doing those little fuck ups because um, they'll have some um, think tanks say something like we'll just take their houses when they die and things like that, and they're like, okay, yeah, we'll do that idea. Mm. And because they haven't talked to any of their voters, then mm. they find out that all their voters hate that idea. There, yeah, I mean, it, there was that think tank idea today that came up and said the Tories should give um, £10,000 to every millennial. Yeah, I saw that. It was, um, to buy houses. Their, and it's like, what fucking their, planet are you on? On their 25th birthday, give them ten grand. Yeah, it's like, don't get me wrong, wouldn't say no. No, but we um, wouldn't get it, because we're too old. Uh, but, well, uh, if, if I were a millennial, well... We kind of are millennials. Yeah, but it was we're to give, on the top end. It was, given, it was to give yeah. them on their twenty fifth birthday yeah. so they could buy a house. But you wouldn't get that. You wouldn't be able to buy your house. But you would have a new landlord, twenty five year old landlord. <laughs> they haven't. I mean, that's the that's the route to kind of conservative dominance mm. is turning is is manipulating the social structures to turn, as you say, the next generation into landlords. Mm. But they've. Like the economy has gone into a corner in that sense. It's so dependent on housing, and it's become so clustered. Mm. It's become so like um, consolidated around a specific class of landlord mm. that they can't they can't appeal to them. I mean, 
I can imagine most of the landlords I've had wouldn't have a problem voting Labour if they continued with... If if you're talking like 2015 Labour, mm. I can't imagine any of the landlords I've ever had having a problem voting Labour oh, because yeah. nothing would threaten no. threaten them. No. Do you know what I mean? And if you're in that situation and you're not kind of op- offering something above and beyond, mm. that class segment is going to start fall, falling away in vote terms as mm. well as kind of any any like positive like feedback on policies or anything like that. You know. Yeah. 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 Um. And they've also ignored the fact that because all of their working class voters are clustered in kind of older industries, mm. um, they've ignored how, how capitalism is moving. I was reading a really fascinating article. Um, it's on a very public sociologist um, on Blogspot. Um, it's a guy called Phil BC. I think what he is on Twitter anyway. Okay. He's very good. Um, he talks about how the class structure of capitalism is changing. So the working class originally is kind of like a large scale industrial class moving into skilled workers. Mm. Um, and they, they, you know, the dynamics of how they vote and, uh, and the parties that spring up around them change. Um, trade unions in the 50s and 60s, like based around kind of skilled workers and, and, and things like that. And then when Thatcher comes along, obviously she can cream off mm. some of those, uh, like some of the proletariat to become like a labor aristocracy or to move them up to the mm. middle class, things like that. He, uh, Phil in this, in this article argues that, um, since the 1970s, um, people have been uh, like the working class has been undergoing a recomposition now because they're mostly in retail and what like what he calls like networked professions socialized professions so they're customer facing now that develops a certain kind a certain uh load of skills Mm. that are not just embedded within a particular process but can be kind of moved along a lot of companies so Mm. if you are a good salesperson yeah you can move in a lot of different Into yeah. a lot of different companies, yeah, and it doesn't houses, really matter. It doesn't really matter. Um, you gain software. and and yeah. like uh, if you're an if you're a knowledge worker, like if you're working in software or IT or mm. you know even admin mm. requires like a pretty a reasonably decent level of kind of IT work, and that knowledge is immaterial. You're not producing anything, and it produces a different kind of worker. Mm. Um, he quotes Negri um, mm. saying it's. Uh, it's the like the rise of the socialized worker or the uh, uh, the rise of immaterial labor hmm. and kind of he argues that the way that that kind of the way that like immaterial workers use their kind of labor power hmm. um, makes the difference between capital and labor a lot starker hmm. so you're looking at it and you can't just see I'm getting a good day's wage for a good like a good day's wage for a good day's work hmm. anything like that um appears increasingly like well my boss couldn't do my job i can see other people going freelance which Mm. is another thing why am i doing it for this particular company why am i doing it for this particular boss Mm. you know it seems it kind of recasts the capitalist in his proper role as like parasite yeah because it appears it makes it more obvious it appears that they're selling their services it's it's way the the labor theory of value becomes way more obvious yeah because they are selling it's less obvious when you're working in a factory making what's it um but you're working in a factory that's owned by sir frankly what's it bottom yeah and it's like been in his family for years it's this big thing that they own and they you know you've got your social your housing that they they pay for as well Mm. and it makes out that there's some kind of nicer relationship whereas if you're working in a call center for yeah 
some arsehole in a very shiny blue suit. Yeah. It appears like, why are they so much better than me mm. to get kind of more money, mm. you know? Um, and they're also, because of kind of the changing nature of how you get into those jobs, mm. you have to put yourself out there more. You learn kind of, the, you learn the basics of like advertising yourself. Yeah. So you kind of, have to network with people you have to be on linkedin you have to keep your eyes out you're okay with moving around a bit more i'm yeah. not like totally okay with the like like obviously i'm not okay at all with the like precarious nature of work the ability mm. to be fired and you mm. know low wages and low kind of job prospects and all that but it does produce a particular kind of of worker that corbyn has latched onto a lot more successfully than the tories because the yeah. tories are still stuck with kind of low level um, like workshop work, um, like self-employed plumbers, mm. things like that, who are just dropping dropping away because they're getting taken up. Like if you think about like Sky engineers, mm. um, all kind of made to work for Sky, mm. but they're all self-employed. Oh yeah, which is makes it a lot of sense for Sky. But politically, that gives you a load of people who have been forced to be turned into that kind of immaterial. Labour worker, you know, they work in the ether. It just makes it much easier for them to be seduced by the Labour Party. Yeah. Um, they're not going to believe the lies of the Tory party when, yeah. it's like, when they have to live like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all Theresa May seems to do is punish, punish mm. those kind of workers, mm. you know? Um, they've put themselves at odds with where like, that working class actually is. So they start to build in a, a, an inbuilt hostility in the same way that Thatcher ended up doing. Mm. Like, you couldn't get people who wouldn't just massively criticise Thatcher for a certain time. It's a, yeah. I totally believe that that's quite a lot of where um, Tony Blair's, like, like supposedly transformative support came from. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's why he seemed like such a big break. Mm. The Tories under Major were just kind of oodling out the last, like, little gaps of that particular electoral coalition. Yeah. And they'd built up such levels of poison within mm. enough people that... Mm. Blair just comes in in a landslide. Yeah. You know? Um, and that kind of thing is now accelerating as well. I mean, you think about, like, the, the kind of... what What's happening with, like, automation. Mm. So you think about, like, retail workers in a supermarket. How many jobs have been eliminated or not advertised because of self-service checkouts mm -hmm. and chip and pin machines? Mm. How much more volume can a company do mm. by employing less people? Yeah, there's so many... You know? There's so many things like that. There's... Um Machine I like using at the bank for cashing in checks. Mm. So I haven't had to queue up. Oh, yeah. Years now. Yeah. You still use checks? Um, well, um, cashing in Holly's checks. Um, schools still paying checks. Ah, okay. Still, it's like rid that's ridiculously old-fashioned. That's ridiculous. She gets paid for checks. <laughs> it's bizarre. They're literally the only people who pay in checks. <laughs> My mum still occasionally uh, will she give me a, a check. check for your birthday. Yeah, she will occasionally give me a check that's like, I've got to go to the bank now. <laughs> Thank you for the chore. This is disgusting. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> I mean, even even up the like higher up the social scale. I mean, how many lawyers and accountants are going to be made redundant in the next ten years because oh. their paperwork can be sent remote, like electronically? How many accountants are going to have accounting software that means you need two people to do the job that it used to take twenty people to do? It's that funny thing with accountants. Like one of the only things that's going to save accountants is tax evasion. Yeah, because, and that's going to save like an elite. Yeah, because the computers aren't going to play ball. Mm. <laughs> um, 
Unless, oh, there's so going to be a company that's like, it's going to be a, like a taxing, a, ta- a program that does your taxes. And like the little logo for it is like, um, like Clippy, the little yeah. Microsoft word, but winking. <laughs> Where the blue rosette. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're, the two kind of avenues the Tories can traditionally go down is hard as nails neoliberalism, mm-hmm. which because neoliberalism itself is failing, cannot produce the results for even its winners, no. let alone its losers. Mm. There's a strong anti-neoliberal vote now that Corbyn is, I think, doing good work in, mm. and McDonnell uh, drawing attention to exactly what neoliberalism is. Mm. Um, the other avenue they can traditionally go down is being like One Nation Tories, mm. which, after Windrush, mm-hmm. uh, trying to promote a kind of diverse... Uh, soft nationalism hmm. is 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 just not going to work. I think probably uh, Cameron pressed that button a few too many times, and it's worn out. It's worn out as an advertising slogan. Yeah. It is. Well, also because of the Tories. It is the auto glass repair, auto glass replace yeah. of political ideologies. You've just heard it too many times. There's um also that thing because because the Tories are in such a weak position, hmm. and the press just love talking to Jacob Rees-Mogg. Hmm. How can you put forward the notion, like the idea of a like One Nation Tories, when you've got this bloke on the TV all the time complaining about sneaky Fenians? <laughs> Do you mean Fenians? That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I yeah. Know what you mean. yeah, yeah. But yeah, when you've got someone like that complaining about these sneaky Irishmen, is is Jacob Rees-Mogg the secret third option of where the Conservatives can go from here and do a full? Trying to do a like traditional Britain thing and bring mm. back like Morris dancing and basket weaving, and stuff like that. Yeah, I think, that- but. You can't do that because the main source of Tory support, again, is the finance sector mm. who don't like that shit. No. no Neoliberalism don't. doesn't like that. Neoliberalism is like a shark. It needs to keep moving so you can't or it fucking dies. Morris groups. Yeah. And if you did, you'd make no money. You can't sell <laughs> off their hard, like all of, their, all of their, like, um, their infrastructure, selling off their stupid hats and their bells. And their hurdy-gurdies. Listen, we need to make the Morris sector a lot more efficient. <laughs> so we sold all their hurdy-gurdies and bells. I've formed a venture capital unit. <laughs> they have to rent their hankies now. Molly Capital Equity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't do it. They, no. there's, they're so toxified on every possible vector hmm. and they can't break out of it. Literally all they have is incumbency. They have the political structures yeah. and a press increasingly losing its mind, but it's all right because it's newspapers and mm. they're going to go away. Yeah. And those Sunday morning politics programs are so poisonous that no one can really watch them anyway. And the kind of people that watch them, I think that, like those kind of politically engaged people are the least likely to ever change their opinions. Yeah. So they're not really anything that's worth trying to... Trying to leak, anyway. leak like, um, village fair conservatism mm. and, like, Brexit tea, uh, Brexit tea towels and things mm. like that. That's a very Cameroonian, Cameroonian move, mm. isn't it? You know, mm. soft consumer-based nationalism mm. and it's been played out because there's a larger kind of consumer culture that just keeps moving. Mm. You can't sell this island story... Mm. Again, you can't no. have another resurgence of it. Not yet, anyway. No, it's they're broken. They've got no ideas, and they are losing votes. And yet, don't think there's too much of a move to actually radically change anything they're doing. No. So, like 
Corbyn's got him on on that. Like he's got yeah. a dynamic party. Mm. He's got a, a party of a load of different voices. Mm. Some of them fucking terrible. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of like thinking going on around it. There's a lot yeah. of democratization going on around it, which actually keeps it fresh. Mm. And if he does pull it off, if it doesn't keep that kind of staid like stasis that the Labour right seem to want, if you can manage to keep it moving and keep it. Well, vicious. Hmm. Like, because all that backbiting, I, I never understood the whole thing about, like, Labour infighting and hmm. splitting and all that. Because, yeah, you read the stories about, like, the far left splitting back in the day and it, hmm. it sounds horrible. But at the same time, with the internet and everything and Twitter being so, like, kind of on it all the time, it keeps people sharp. Hmm. It keeps new ideas circulating around. I mean, might not be sympathetic or, like, graceful hmm. to those ideas, but... Yeah. It keeps them flowing, and that's mm. like that's the that's the secret. That's what the Tories have lost. Mm. It will convert the next generation to some kind of socialism, mm. which the Tories are not trying to convert the next generation to conservatism. They're mm. poisoning poisoning the and world so, for see, everything that you goes see past. It constantly, they keep on saying things like, "Oh, we need to just fully get through to kids how horrible socialism is." We saw it's it like with that's... Marx's birthday, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like a lot of people saying things about Marx at that time. It's amazing how many people who haven't read anything that Marx ever wrote have a lot of opinions on what Marx wrote and how many people he personally killed. It was amazing. I couldn't. I was so surprised that Marx was able to travel in time and kill all those people. And it's when it's the best. Is when it's when they fun when they um add up they total up the numbers that you know you can attribute to communism's murders. Yeah, and suddenly. There's a whole lot of people who are fighting on the Eastern Front against Russia who count as <laughs> victims of communism. And it's like... <laughs> no, it's not just Nazis. Uh, the, the Iron Guard. <laughs> you know with a name like the Iron Guard, they're going to be good. Dan Hannan's so bad for that. Oh, it's just delightful. Uh, Dan Hannan, at least, like you know you know where he stands. It's like kind of... Well, yeah, like communists weird, yeah, weird moderate conservatives who go now. I haven't read Marx, but mm. it's real bad, yo. Yeah, because as Marx quoted himself, philosophers have interpreted the world. The point is not to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so to finish off this week, we're going to look at a fresh Zoe Williams article. It's a new idea, an original idea. Yeah, an idea some... that could possibly save the Labour Party from its electoral defeat in the local elections. Yep. Um, if they'd had it, no problem. Mm. Um, you're going to have to say it because I can't say it without vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she wrote an article called Nationalism Can Be a Good Thing. We Have to Make the Case for It. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of nationalism? Can I, ju- <sighs> can I just say, like, the Guardian, like, opinion titles hmm. are really starting to bug me they've got an starting editorial to. yeah they've got an editorial thing where it always has to be like a positive statement hmm. this won't do this so this is what we have to do hmm. you know hmm. and it's really bothering me like i know they don't choose their own headlines mm-hmm. but it just makes them sound so dumb yeah. Because they're trying this fake confidence yeah. that they've got a good bead on things yeah. and that they're going to be able to solve all their problems. Anyway, so she wrote an article about good nationalism and bad nationalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. It starts, I was on a panel last week talking about good nationalism and bad nationalism. The difference to me is pretty plain, though not without controversy. Mm. 
When has nationalism ever called controversy? Just because yeah. it specifically, by its very nature, has to exclude a large portion of the population. <laughs> uh, why would it be controversial? Good nationalism is based is a spe- certain specific solidarity based on the things you've created together as a nation and the things you aspire to create. You could call it, for short, now, get ready to wince, Danny Boyle nationalism. <laughs> She's going to talk about the 2012 opening ceremony. <laughs> she doesn't go well. I don't think she goes further on about the But Danny Boyle nationalism. So that would be, yeah, centred around the 2012 Olympics that kind of brought in the industrial revolution into kind of the imagery of thing, but a kind of like sanitized, uh, soft version of the industrial revolution that didn't include so many nine-year-old fingers. Yeah. Also it had like the whole Windrush thing when they were like celebrated coming in. And, as the, yeah. <laughs> it's it, aged well. <laughs> yeah, it has. Um, I don't like Danny Boyle. We Danny were talking Boyle. about this before, weren't Danny we? Danny Boyle has never made a good film. Oh, your hot takes. I'm so hot right now and I can't stand any more of your hot takes. I don't like films. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do like films. I just don't like Danny Boyle's films. I hate them. They're disgusting and terrible and trash. And he did the 2012 opening ceremony, which was disgusting and trash. You're wrong. I'm not wrong. You are wrong. I'm not wrong. You're wrong about Danny Boyle. His films didn't birth that. They did. They, they did. did. Though they, there what? were films that appealed to a very specific part of the country. He laid the groundwork ready for this. She didn't write this article in on her what own. Way, he put forward this in idea. In what way her. did train spotting lay the lay the groundwork for a resurgent English liberal nationalism? Bullet portrayed the Scottish as a bunch of drug addicts. <laughs> <laughs> as worthless scumbags that need to be looked after by a progressive British nationalism. Um if they weren't so Scottish about everything, maybe they wouldn't be all on heroin. That was the message of train spotting. <laughs> you all join the army and they have a great time. It's because we don't have such a big army anymore that they weren't all in the army and had to uh, console themselves with shooting up heroin. Yep. They had to numb themselves to the pain of not being in Africa. Being able to be in the army. Knifing a, <laughs> a martial tribe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, she says... You could call it Danny Boyle nationalism, and it takes in the NHS, the Industrial Revolution, the internet, as well as other less cinematic things, such as the sewage system. Why do they still keep on pretending that we did the internet? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. It's because you can point to a person who has, like, uh, intellectual kind of... But it's such an old-fashioned notion of, like, that's, uh, th- th- that's how anything works anyway. But... No, but like stop trying to like put the flag on like Mount Internet. I mean, this might be a stretch, but if you look at uh, the type of people who write those kind of things, like it's the science of this fucking awesome thing. Yeah. And what they see is they see well-educated white English academics who came up with the idea, but have absolutely no power over it because mm. under capitalism, if you don't own it, it doesn't matter if you came up with it or created mm. it; it's who owns it. Mm. But they sidestep that. And look to to kind of a past of like maverick creators who you can then claim because all of this language is purely symbolic. It's not material. It doesn't, as we talked about in our England episode, all of the kind of symbols of that kind of thing. I mean, she even says it there, less cinematic, Hmm. because that's all it is. It's cinematic symbols that you can that you can claim and use to win an argument, Hmm. not win power, not Hmm. win any kind of real kind of material benefits you use it to win power mm. in an argument mm. which is 
the way that they conceive of the world. Mm. Um, she continues, it will never be an entirely heartwarming tale. A lot of infant bones went under the machinery of that revolution, for instance. But national pride without the maturity to yeah. recognise its violence, violent elements is saccharine. It's like you're arguing for a saccharine nationalism. You're yeah. arguing to, uh, for us to ignore that. I have never met an English nationalist who has a nuanced take on the empire. <laughs> no. They I, never do. I mean, she's basically arguing to say that a lot of people died so that we could feel proud of the Industrial Revolution and of imperialism that came along with it, but don't worry about it. Mm. Again, of course it's made for cinematic. It's, it's been censored. It's been BBFC'd. Mm. Um, good nationalism is inclusive, not because it constantly thumps on about how inclusive it is, but because it includes, by definition, every man, woman and child who contributed to the achievement, and their bones, presumably. Mm. Um, like, <sighs> nationalism has to exclude things because in order to be a member of a nation mm. you have to you know it's join it by citizenship ethnicity whatever mm. you have to have a passport it by definition so if if somebody who helped say create the internet or created the nhs was a, was french mm. um that doesn't include them by your definition it yeah. it complicates it and nationalism doesn't doesn't complicate things it tries mm. to simplify them They're ridiculous um, good nationalism does not resort to abstract self-asserted values, fairness, tolerance, that any nation could say about itself. So she tries to dodge the kind of thing of saying, you know, oh, well, British fair play mm. is inherently Brit English or mm. British. Um, she means both. Mm. Um, she tries to sidestep it early on because anybody can be fair. Anyone can be tolerant. Mm. It's not an inherent value no. that is ascribed to having a particular passport. Um, it has concrete achievements that it can point to, whether of infrastructure or of living standards, and definable aspirations that it can work towards. Green energy or universal lifelong education, say. It is not a creed of exceptionalism. Yes, it is! <clears throat> she uses the example, in order to be proud of your sewage system, you don't need France not to have one, and you don't need to have had one first. Um... Has anyone pointed out to her as well that, um, like, she's mentioned the sewage system twice. Sewage systems aren't national. No. Like, water pathways are to a certain extent, but sewage is are municipal. Hello. Yeah. Also, our sewage system is shocking. Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. To the I, point of they're tearing up another they're tearing up another park to turn it into like to open up a super sewer to deal with the sheer amount of crap in our sewers. Yeah, most of our sewers were built. Um, like under you know municipal hmm. auspices, hmm. they're a source of civic pride, of city hmm. pride, hmm. not of national pride, hmm. and not a source of pride at all. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she continues, it does not fear change since generative political action always makes change. So, tautology. Hmm. Um, indeed, that's the point. Good nationalism is not absolute. You do not need to be proud of Oliver Cromwell in order to be proud of Jessica Ennis Hill. It's like, no, nationalism is built on historical images. Like, nationalism. A whole bunch of nationalists have a real problem with just. Like, nationalism, especially in the English context, but frankly, in mm. most contexts, even progressive ones, mm. has to look back to an essence. Mm. It has to look back to yeah. something that separates you essentially, yeah. even if it's down to where you're born mm. and accepts that that was an accident, mm. still has to look back and structure itself 
in, according to its history. Mm. Why do you think like history wars are so? Why do you think history wars are so important to mm. um, like education? Yeah. That causes the most outcry from nationalists because it doesn't teach the history that they want to teach. Yeah. Um, like so, she's like abandoning, kind of. She's kind of lumping everything in with like nationality, even if it's not a particularly like national political project. Mm even if it's individual or municipal. And now she's like saying, well, we won't have to exercise history, but we will have to exercise history. Yeah. So we will have to be down on Oliver Cromwell, but up on Jessica Ennis Hill. We won't have to, we won't have to forget about the victims of the Industrial Revolution, but we will have to forget about the victims of the Industrial Revolution. How do you get a job being a Guardian columnist? Let's it's see. So easy. Well, you have well, okay. According to last to a uh, uh, couple of weeks ago, you have to work at the Daily Mail, mm. where you shelter your social good socialist <laughs> instincts, and then you go to the Guardian, and then you write the right wing stuff because you always have to write the opposite. Go yeah. to that guy. That's <laughs> the you, cla- hide, you hide all your um, your radical left wing views, all your really nice humanitarian feelings you hide all them when you're working for the express and you get to the garden you can write a thing about progressive nationalism <laughs> yeah you then you have to hide your internationalism yeah. <laughs> God's sake. the classic fissure on the left is whether or not there is any legitimate pride to be taken from the geographical happenstance of where you were born or made your home i have no problem with a bordered civic identity oh. our borders describe the limits of our democratic uh... agency traditionally england a great respecter of democratic legitimacy and borders yes <laughs> Well, we are, as soon as we put them up. Your borders don't count, though. If someone else has some borders, they're not really borders. Because who wrote, who drew that map? Was it we a good did. Englishman? Yeah. If it wasn't a good Englishman, then it's not really a border. <laughs> Have you submitted the right forms for your border? And also, like, the geographical happenstance of where you were born. Like, I was born in Chatham. I was born in Medway. It describes a great more about me if you think about it than mm. an English identity mm-hmm. from which I might I can probably imagine how people live but I wouldn't know the specifics just because I'm English no you no. know the um yeah you were yeah born and raised in the Medway towns mm. your life experiences are one completely different from someone who was born and raised in say Kings Lynn yeah yeah, so. Well, the thing is, I don't even think it was completely different because we both grew up under, say, we were born at the same time. Mm. We were both grew up under kind of um, like Thatcherism and consumer culture generally. Yeah. There's been a kind of homogenization of stuff like that. But yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't describe the the landscape, mm. the circumstances of their birth, all the things that supposedly are meant to fashion you, mm. and it kind of exposes it as yeah, no, England itself, Britishness itself, when it gets to the nation state level. It is a construct. It has to be. Mm. It has to be an invention mm. because it, it doesn't exist other than as a political solution. Yeah. You can't depoliticize it and say that it's natural. Mm. Um, patriotism is democracy distilled, satisfaction and solidarity rooted in having created the conditions in which generosity and innovation could thrive. Oh. What? What? When I see the butcher's apron flying through a flagpole, I do not think generosity. Yeah. Well, no, you're not supposed to think about that. Oh, my just not. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, there are a lot of bones under that butcher's apron. Yeah. But don't look at them. Just look no. at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's, 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 she's trying to have her cake and eat it by kind of pointing to universal things. Eat your cake and have it. That, uh, whatever. 
I'm not having this argument I'm again. One, I'm one of those guys now. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those eat your cake and have it guys. Mm. I am. I'm thinking about becoming one of them. Uh, <laughs> I would call bad nationalism, the global surge in right-wing populism, mm. is driven by large-scale immigration and the threat it poses to the cultural... <laughs> and the German concerns! <laughs> To the, and the threat it poses to the cultural identity of the ethnic majority. Some people fear change. They prefer the monocultural landscape in which they grew up, and visible changes to it threaten their sense of belonging and security. Certain attitudes are, if not hereditary, baked in to the point as where they might, may as well be. So you're saying they have a point. And also, right, this whole kind of um, reaction to large-scale immigration and cultural identity... Isn't good nationalism driven by the same thing? Mm -hmm. The good nationalism posited by left-wing and liberal figures... Mm is brought about because they don't want to be left behind by the feel-good party of the bad nationalism, right? Yeah. So you could say that it's actually driven by the... It's driven by globalisation and yeah. driven by uh, immigration patterns as well. Yeah, the difference is, like, one of them's like, I love all the curry, all the curry houses in, um, in, in Birmingham, and then the bad ones yeah. are saying, I hate all the curry houses in <laughs> Birmingham. It's, it is the same. Hmm. It's. I mean, look. I get. I get. It comes from the same I place. get the idea that it has. It, it chooses different symbols, but mm. ultimately, it is a process of selection and di like discarding things that you don't want. Good nationalism discards the different thing. Different things from the bad nationalism. Though discards different things from the things that bad nationalism discards. Mm. But as far as I can see, she's arguing that it comes from the same place, but we can make it nicer mm. because it's a a. a a natural response to those things. Um, our nation is defined not by its puffed-up declaration of values, nor by its tacit cultural exclusions, but by what it built together and what it seeks to build. England is a, a grumpy, depressed, uh, morose, post-imperial nation-state, increasingly ill at ease with every other country around it and itself. Mm. It cannot... I mean, we've been talking in generalities about good nationalism and bad nationalism. If we're talking specifically about British nationalism, the nation is purely defined by its puffed-up declaration of values because it keeps making them. Yeah. It is, dis it is um, defined by its tacit cultural exclusions because that's what actually happens. Hmm. They ne that she doesn't even try to manage it. She doesn't even try to like offer something else. She just says... We need a good nationalism because it needs to offer something else. Yeah, she puts the cart before the horse. Mm. I don't. I don't get why we need to keep going on at this thing. Um, no, there's no need to, um, except to appeal to the hordes of blue Labour voters that don't exist. Yeah, it's. I just don't get the need to. I mean, maybe you know, maybe she had a deadline. And it's like, well, I saw Paul Mason wrote something, so <laughs> I'll bang out another five. This was really short as well. Yeah. Like 500 words, maybe, a thousand words. Hmm. And it's just like the need to keep banging it out because she'll make it true. Hmm. Like people writing these kind of articles will make it true, whether they like all get burnt <laughs> trying to. Yeah. Because it specifically destroys their... Uh, bringing up that stuff destroys their supposed liberal ethos. Like, the Remain yeah. stuff is supposed to be internationalist, and yet yeah. all the Remain people just go bang on and on and on mm. about the need for good nationalism. It's mm. like, where do you... Why, how do you think you got in this position in the first place? Mm. You just look like a dick. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's it for this week. Uh, yeah. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo. 
you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. Yep. And uh, that's it for this week. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my